Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Hey, my name's Josh Turner. How are we doing? We good? I actually brought a picture of my family uh, to show you. Uh, That's right. And um, that is uh, my son, Aiden. Uh, he is 15 years, or he is 16 years old. Uh, that is my wife, Becca. Uh, we have been married for 15 years. If you can do math, I wasn't always serving Jesus, okay? <laughs> Last time I made that joke, I forgot my son was traveling with me and he was sitting on the front row. And I looked down at him, he's like, <laughs> I was like, we'll talk about it in the car. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Don't interrupt daddy when he's preaching. And so, and so uh, that's our daughter, Riley. Riley is 11 years old. Uh, she is lower in the picture because Riley is in a wheelchair. Our little girl, she has special needs. Uh, she has a tracheostomy, a feeding tube. She's in a wheelchair. We have nurses that live with us at our house. Uh, they get there at 10 p.m., leave at 6 a.m. Um, and Riley, for the first time at 11 years old, uh, just got diagnosed for the first time. She is number 12 in the world. She is the 12th known case of this genetic whatever that makes her super unique. And kind of what I want to talk to you about today has to deal with that. You know, for 11 years, we've been praying for for a miracle, right? And we've all been in those places where you're praying that God does something. You're praying that God answers a prayer. You're praying that God comes through. You're praying that God would give you the raise. You're praying that the cancer would go away. You're praying that your marriage would be healed. And sometimes God doesn't do that. And we've been praying forever that she would be healed. For the first seven years of her life, we actually spoke sign language at our house. If you have never been disrespected by a child in sign language, it's adorable. Um, and, and then one day, miraculously, on Columbus Day, I think four years ago, I'm not good at math, uh, she just started talking. And now we don't sign anymore, and so God healed her in this area. So now we're praying, okay, God, can you do these other things? But God hasn't been doing them yet. So, so here's what I want to talk to you about today. What do you do when you find yourself in a crisis of faith? Let me say it to you this way if you don't know what a crisis of faith is. What do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should? What do you do? Because here's the reality. The reality is, is all of us in here are going to come, we're going to have that moment. We're all going to have the moment where, where, we, where we are praying for something or we are believing for something and God doesn't do it. If you have lived long enough, you have realized that. And that's one of the hardest things as a pastor to say. I would love to tell everybody in here that, man, at the end of the service, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you respond to Jesus Christ as your Savior, then what's going to happen is, is you're going to get wrapped in a Holy Spirit bubble and nothing bad's ever going to happen to you in your life. And God's actually going to become like a cosmic Coke machine where you can just go and pray and put your prayer in and God's like, here you go, and gives it to you. But that's not reality. Reality is, is that we pray a lot of prayers and we ask God for a lot of things. And sometimes God goes, nah. Or sometimes God goes, not yet. What do you do then? Because see, there's a lot of teachings out there in the church world that's like, if God doesn't answer your prayer right, then you didn't pray right. Listen, if, if, if we have to pray prayers like a Harry Potter spell, then God's not big enough. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? If God's, if God's up in heaven going, say the right word, like then we're all in trouble. And so what do you do in these moments? And here's the reality. All of us in here will go through it, and not only do we go through it, but you see it all throughout Scripture. You see it all throughout Scripture where God doesn't do what people think God should do. And they find themselves in these massive crises of faith. One of my favorites is Joseph. If you know the story of Joseph, Joseph had a father and he had a bunch of brothers. Joseph was loved the most by his father, and he had a dream that his brothers would bow down to him one day. So Joseph goes to his brothers and says, hey guys, I had this awesome dream. One day you are going to bow down to me. Just a side note, if you ever have that dream about your siblings, don't tell them because the lesson of Joseph is they will conspire to kill you, okay? So one day Joseph's brothers are tending the flock. Joseph's dad goes to him and says, Joseph, I need you to go check on your brothers. So Joseph goes to check on his brothers. As they see him coming, they go, here comes the dreamer, let's kill him. So his brothers conspire to kill him. Now remember, Joseph is doing what his father asked of him. Let's kill him. One of the brothers says, no, let's not kill him. We don't want his blood on our hands. Let's dig a big old pit and throw him in the pit, and then we'll just leave him there. He actually had a plan to come back, so he was not as terrible as the other brothers. So they dig this big hole, throw Joseph in it. As they sit down to eat lunch, a caravan of Ishmaelite gypsies goes by. And one of the brothers goes, we should just leave him in this pit and get nothing for him. Let's sell him into slavery. So they sell their own brother into slavery. When Joseph is in slavery, he is bought by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was like a governor. He oversaw a bunch of different stuff. Well, one of the things that Potiphar noticed is that Joseph was, that God was with Joseph. So he actually buys Joseph and then puts him over his entire household. Says, Joseph, you can, you, you can run all of this stuff. The problem is, is that Potiphar's wife also takes notice of Joseph. The Bible tells us that Joseph was very tall, handsome, well-built. If you need a mental image, you can use this. I am here. I'm here to serve you um, and just to help. I'm helped. I want to make the Bible come alive to you. And so that's such a lie because this is the phrase I say every morning of my life right now. I don't remember these jeans being this tight every morning. So Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph. I just want to show you this. Read this with me, Genesis 39, 10 through 20. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Sounds like my wife. Joseph tore himself... I wish that was true. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak, Brian, I'm sorry, left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said, but when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. That is a crisis of faith. That is a moment where Joseph has done everything right. That is a moment where he honored God, he actually honored his master Potiphar, and he still ended up in a place, and God did not do what he thought God should have done. All of us are going to have those moments. 
All of us are going to have these moments where we look around and we say, God, what the heck? Because ultimately, we all think we know better than God, right, for ourselves. I mean, how many times we pray, God, if you would just do what I think you should do, then life would be awesome. And God often doesn't do that. Sometimes God actually does the opposite. So what do you do in that moment? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you three simple things. And I want you to write these down. Because I hope you know this, but that every person who ever stands on this stage, whether it's myself, Pastor Brian, Pastor Heather, whoever it is, we are just broken vessels that the Holy Spirit is speaking through. That's all we are. We're just people trying to figure it out ourselves. So when we, when we are, we, we are, our prayers as preachers and communicators is that we would just be vessels that God would use. So if something resonates with you today, I, you need to understand that's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you and not a broken man. And there are going to be days in your life where you are going to need to remember what the Holy Spirit spoke over you. That's why I'm a huge proponent of taking notes in church. You also, if you didn't know this, if you take notes in church, you get to pick where you live in heaven. Okay? And so that's in the book of Second Hesitations. And so you can... You, you just take notes because I want you to remember this. And here's what I want you to do, here's what I want you to know. This that I'm getting ready to share with you. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm at. I just left a church that I was a part of for 15 years, and just left the church that I planted five years ago because of some theological things with one of my overseers that I couldn't get on board with because I didn't think it was biblical. It's been painful. And God didn't do what I thought God should have done. So the things I'm going to share with you right now, this isn't just me as a pastor being like, here you go, guys, here's three points, see you later. Like, it, this is like, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm putting this stuff into practice in my own life. So I want you to take notes. If you're taking notes, the first thing that you need to do is you need to remember what God has done. It's amazing to me. As Christians, I call it Christian amnesia. How when we find ourselves in hardships, we all of a sudden forget all the times that God has already come through in the past. It's like we find ourselves in these moments, and all of a sudden we're like, we're doomed, and we forget that all of God has already done for us. So here's what I want to do. I, I love this. I want to read to you Psalm 77. I want to read all of Psalm 77 to you. It's not that long. But here's what I want you to notice, and here, as I read these to you, this is the Word of God, and this is brutal. This is one of those things where you read it, and you read what the psalmist says, and at the beginning of it, and you think to yourself, this is, this is harsh. In, in the beginning of Psalm 77, up to verse 11, it actually, it reminds me of, of this, this band that I love. So there's a band that I love called the Avid Brothers. And, uh, woo, Avid Brothers. And um, Jesus, praise them. And um, sorry, I don't know where that came from. And, um, and so they had, their, their grandfather was a pastor. And... In one of their lines of their songs, they say, I often use cuss words when I pray. And when I read the beginning of Psalm 77 before verse 11, this is, this is like kind of the line of that song that comes to mind. Let me read it to you. It says this, I cry out to God, yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. Have you ever been in those moments where you go in to pray and you're so hurt and God hasn't shown up in such a way that you thought he should that you don't even know the words to say? That you just kind of walk into your prayer closet or your prayer room or your prayer time and you're just like, 
I don't, I don't, I don't even know what to say to you right now, Lord. Uh, ditto on yesterday's prayer. Like, that's where we get. Do <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you haven't been there, the good news is you will. Like, where you just like, you don't know what to say. He says, I am too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since gone when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Listen to this. This is the Bible. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. That is a brutal, gut-wrenching, the psalmist is saying, God has turned his hand against me. God doesn't even hear me. I go in to pray. I don't even have the words. I think of God, and it's so painful that I just moan. But listen to verse 11. Everything changes in verse 11. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When I love this. When the Red Sea saw you, oh God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. Let me just say this. You may find yourself in a crisis of faith right now because God is leading you to a pathway that nobody else sees. You may have people in your life that are telling you, this is dumb, that's not the right decision. I'm not saying don't listen to wisdom. I'm saying to listen to the Holy Spirit more. But God just may be leading you to a pathway that doesn't make sense. And you may find yourself in a crisis of faith. You may find yourself like the Israelites standing at the edge of the Red Sea being like, now we're in trouble. And Moses is like, uh-uh. And he lifts his arms and that joker splits. You may find yourself in a crisis of faith because you're standing at the edge of something that doesn't make sense, but God's about to split the water for you. And so you need to hold on to that. Sometimes God leads us into places that we don't understand because there is a pathway that no one else sees but God. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Let me ask you something. What would your crisis of faith look like if you remembered everything that God has already done for you? What would it look like? See, so many times when we find ourselves in a crisis of faith, we just totally forget that God has come through for us in the past. And so many times we just, we, we find ourselves in these moments and all of a sudden, our whole walk with God is built on this moment and not the faithfulness of the past. Listen to me, when God doesn't do what you think he should do in a moment, you need to remember all the things that God has already done for you. You need to remember all the times that God has already come through for you. And listen, if he was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the future, and he's going to be faithful in the present. And we've got to stand on that. We've got to hold on to that. Recently, through everything my family and I were going through, um, it was brutal. It was really hard. And, and, I, and I started reading the book of Mark. And I was kind of in this place where I, like, I had the Christian amnesia. I forgot God's faithfulness. So I started reading the book of Mark. And in Mark chapter 4, there is a, there's an account where Jesus calms the wind and the waves. 
The disciples are asleep in the boat. They think they're going to drown. They start freaking out. They think it's over. Jesus wakes up. The Bible says that he rebukes the wind and the waves. And if you read it the way it's written in the Greek, the entire environment changes the way that it's written. So when Jesus stands up and says, peace be still, it doesn't just stop raining. It's a bluebird day and the sea's calm. Like in that moment, Jesus changes everything. But then there's something that Jesus says to the disciples. I want to read it to you. He says it this way in the Passion Translation uh, of the Bible. He says, have you not learned to trust yet? In the New Living, he says, how do you still not have faith? So Jesus calms the wind and the waves and then looks at his boys and says, how do you, how do you still not trust? I started thinking to myself, well, he's not saying that just because they saw him calm the wind and the waves. Jesus is saying that because of everything that they've already seen him do from Mark 1 through 3. So I went through and I started outlining everything that the disciples saw Jesus do, Mark 1 through 3. And it's a lot of stuff. And so Jesus is looking at them being like, how are you still afraid when you've already seen me do all this in the past? So I sat my, den- my, my family down at dinner that night and I shared this with them. And I said, man, I, I feel like God is looking at us right now because we're scared and we're walking through a hard time. And Jesus is saying to us, how do you still not trust? I said, so here's what I want to do, guys. I go, I want us to start making a list of all the blessings that we can name that God has already given us. I said, so I had my little notebook and I said, so just start calling them out. And so my kids and my wife start calling out stuff and we begin to fill pages of God's blessings. And I said, listen, guys, and when your kids do it, it's like the sweetest thing. They like, you just yell out random, our puppy. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's Satan's curse. Like that's not, (laughs) it's not a blessing. And, um, but we started filling out all these pages and I looked at my kids and I looked at my wife. I said, we're in a moment where we're in a crisis of faith and God isn't doing what we think he should. So we're going to stand on his faithfulness and not our current circumstance. Some of you today, you need to go home and make a list. You need to go after church. You need to sit as a family. You need to sit by your single self. You need to sit with your boyfriend and girlfriend. If you're in here and you're single and you're scoping and hoping, look at someone and be like, hey, girl, let's make a list of our faith and God's faithfulness. <laughs> and I'm going to put you at the top. Um, <laughs> stupid. And um, so you, you, you need to make a list. You need to remember what God has done. Amen. The second thing is this, and I'm going to start moving here quickly. The second thing is this. You need to accept what God is doing. You need to accept what God is doing. Now, when I say accept what God is doing, I don't mean rolling over and, and dying. I don't mean just be, you ever make, meet those people that it's just like, I call it the Eeyore syndrome. You know Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? I live in Orlando, so we live all things Disney World. Uh, Eeyore probably rain on me anyway. Like that, like it's just... <laughs> Oh, you meet those people and like when you get around them, you're like, you're the worst. Like everything is always terrible. Your life is falling apart. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying just being like, oh, might as well happen. You know, like don't do that. But I'm also not, I'm also saying don't be one of the weird Christians that doesn't acknowledge that you're going through a hard time. You ever meet those people? They come to church and you're like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And they're like, blessed and highly favored. And you're like, well, your car's on fire and your face is bleeding. So, <laughs> like, are you okay? I, I, just, just, it's okay to say, God, this is where I am. Right. God, this is okay. And, and, and this is a little bit of a soapbox for me. 
There has been a teaching that has somehow permeated the Christian church that if you speak something into existence, like if you have cancer and you acknowledge that you have cancer, that you've spoken it into existence, that is the stupidest thing in the world. Because if you and I say something that ties the hands of God, you know what I mean? If you have cancer and you're like, the doctor said I have cancer, God's not up in heaven going, well, I was going to heal you, but now you said it and I can't do anything. <laughs> like just acknowledge where you are. And here, here's what I want you to do. I want to I give you a, a, a different question to ask. So here's the question that a lot of us ask when we find ourselves in a crisis of faith. Why? Why, God? Why? 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 Why, God? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? Why am I going through this? Why, Lord? Here's a question I want you to change it with. I want you to quit asking why. I want you to start asking the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Quit asking why. Ask God, what do you want me to do with this? Let me give you an example. I have a picture of my daughter. I want to show you. So she is, this is her first fashion show, which was really just a trick for me to get to buy all the clothes that she wore in the fashion show, which you do because you never say no to a child in a wheelchair. Okay, so she, so she bought it. I'm like, get it all, you're beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, my wife's like, we can't. I'm like, you're a sinner, you know? And so, so she's a, she loves fashion. Like, when I say loves fashion, diva. She has a, she's 11. She has a 30-minute facial regimen that she does every night with lotions. She has more expensive stuff than my wife has. She's like, I can't have the bags up under my eyes. I'm like, you're 11. Like, you're fine. Before we go anywhere, anywhere, she has to put her makeup on. And let me say this, for an 11-year-old, she can do some makeup. I was like, maybe give your mom some pointers. I don't know. Um, some of y'all didn't like that joke. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't judge me. My wife's not here. Um, so I'm just teasing. My wife knows. I, no, she doesn't. Um, so, so before I was leaving for a tri trip recently, I was sitting next to Riley on the couch. And she goes, Daddy, I, I want you to help me start a blog. And I said, well, you're listen, baby. She's on Instagram. Social media, she's in it. Um, but I police that thing like crazy. So um, she goes, I want you to help me start a blog. I said, all right, baby. I go, I go, listen, I go, Riley, I know you want to be Instagram famous. I know that you follow everybody on YouTube and you want to be social media famous and have your blog followers. I'm like, baby, listen to me. I go, none of that stuff matters. It's not real friends. You, you, we can find friends another way. You don't need to do any of this stuff, baby. It's just ridiculous. She goes, well, dad, that's not why I want to start a blog. I said, all right, well, why do you want to start a blog? She goes, well, you know how I love fashion, right? I go, baby, we all know how you love fashion. She goes, well, what I've realized is, is there's nothing out there for special needs kids who love fashion. She said, so I actually want to start a blog to help special needs girls who might be in wheelchairs or on walkers learn how to dress themselves so that they can be fashionable. And that's when I learned that I loved her more than my son. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also accidentally made that joke with him on the front row one time as well. It was a long car ride home. Um, so, so here's my point in this. Here's an 11-year-old little girl who quit asking the question, 
why and started asking the question, God, what do you want me to do with this? She's 11. Most of you in here are grown behind people. Maybe that divorce that you keep asking God why about, maybe you should start asking God, what do you want me to do with this? Maybe that, here's the deal. Maybe that addiction that you're still struggling with and you're asking God why, maybe you should ask God, what do you want me to do with this? You know, one of the ways that I've learned that I often get through the hardships in my life is by serving somebody else. So what is it right now that God's like, quit asking this question, start asking this question. Because whatever it is that you have gone through, whatever it is that you have faced, whatever, is, whatever crisis of faith that you're in that's causing you to ask why, I promise you, if you ask God, what do you want me to do with this? And you take it and you put it in the hands of our very big God, your hardships, your trials, your valleys, they're actually insanely powerful in the hands of our massive God. Quit asking why, start asking what do you want me to do with this? And the third and final thing is this, trust what God will do. You need to remember, you need to accept, and you need to trust. And here's the thing that's so hard with this, right? We have trouble trusting in what God will do because we allow our feelings to trump the word of God. We, 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 we are such emotional people. And listen, I, I'm a super emotional dude. Like I, I, David can hit high notes. I can cry on command. I mean, it's just, it's one of the things. I don't know. And one of the ways I really connect with God is emotionally. But what I always have to remind myself is that my emotions, whether good or bad, they do not trump the word of God. They do not trump the, in, the, the, the accuracy and the truthfulness of the word of God. The problem is, is we live in this world that's always telling us your feelings are right. Do what feels right. You do you. You just feel the way you want to. That's totally right. That's okay. Listen, that is ridiculous. You know why? Because feelings are fickle and chain and they change. See, we live in a world right now where truth has become relative or subjective. So truth is, it's, it's relative to the environment you live in, it's relevant to the country you live in, it's relevant to the college you go to, it's relevant to the city that you live in, or truth is subjective, it's subjective to you as the person. So you get to decide what is true for you or not. The problem is, is if truth is moving, it's not truth. You have to stand on the Word of God. You have to come back to this place that at the end of the day, your feelings, they are fickle and they will change. The perfect example of this, you ever date somebody that you were so in love with and you were going to marry them and every time that you looked into their eyes, you saw your unborn children and you're all romantic and then you see them a few years later and they're like at Walmart buying like underwear and a spare tire. And you're like, Lord, thank you that I don't love that person anymore. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, because your feelings change. The problem is, is that there are people who are following Jesus. There are people who are crises of faith. There are people that find themselves in issues. And instead of standing on the word of God, they're being tossed to and fro like they're on the sea because their feelings are all over the place. Listen, the way that you trust what God will do is you don't cling to your feelings, you cling to the Word. Because your feelings change, the Word doesn't. And a lot of us in here, we have trouble with that because we don't know the Word of God well enough. So, so let me tell you something. There is an awesome 
theological tool that you can use called Google. You can go to Google and you can type in scriptures for suffering, scriptures for hardships, scriptures for trials, and you will get a million different websites. So what I do is I actually carry a little journal in my wallet in my back pocket, and these are scriptures. And listen, I've been a pastor for 15 years. I still carry this in my back pocket, in my wallet. Because there is going to be a day where my feelings are going to be massive. My emotions are going to be huge. And I'll be like, God, what the heck? God, you don't even hear me. You don't even respond to me. God, I've been praying about this. I've been crying about this. God, you don't even whatever. And then what I need to do in that moment, when I feel that, I need to go back and I need to begin to read myself the things that the Bible says about my situation and not what my feelings say about my situation. That's how you trust God. Listen to me. Please hear me on this. This is massive. You need to sometimes learn to preach to yourself. You need to learn to encourage yourself in the Word of God from time to time, because there are going to be times where it go, where all hell on earth breaks loose, and you feel that you are there, and you're not going to be able to get to Pastor Brian or Pastor Heather, and you're going to need to be able to take the Word of God, and you're going to need to be able to apply it to yourself and say, God, I know this is how I feel, but God, I know that your Word is bigger than my feelings. You're going to need to learn to preach to yourself. You're going to need to learn to encourage yourself. You're going to need to learn that, listen, God's love for you is not tied up in your circumstances. God's love for you is tied up in the cross of Jesus Christ. So if you find yourself in these moments where you feel like God doesn't love you because of your crisis of faith, can I encourage you to avert from looking at your crisis and start looking at the cross. Because the cross is the proof of God's love for you, not the world that we live in. And what we've got to remember is that you and I, in this moment, we are able, right, to remember, we're able to accept, and we're able to trust what God will do, not because you and I have it all together. Not because, like, you do your morning Devo every day. Not because you know all the songs of the worship team is going to sing. Not because you only listen to Hillsong and nothing secular. Not because the only rated R movie that you've ever seen is The Passion of the Christ. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we like to think, we like to think at times that God's up in heaven being like, Passion of the Christ, check. Like, that he's checking these things off. You and I are able to remember, accept, and trust, not because we have it all together, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So if you're in this place this morning, listen to me, and you find yourself in a crisis of faith, and you are far away from God, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're on your own in your crisis of faith. But the moment that the Bible tells us that we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for us, and we accept him as our Savior, the Bible tells us that we are then reconciled to God in that moment. So once you were separated from God, but because of Christ, you were reconciled to God. So then when you find yourself in a crisis of faith, you have a Savior, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you have a King in heaven, your God, that's saying, come on, give that to me. I'm going to carry this for you now. Watch what I can do with this. And there's some of you in here, listen to me. Today you need to remember, accept, 
or you need to trust, but there's some of you in here that your first step is you need to commit or recommit your life to Jesus. You need to commit or recommit your life to Jesus. I got saved at 14, and then for the next 10 years lived like I never made that decision. And so there was a day for me that I had to recommit my life to Jesus. And theologically, people want to say, once saved, always saved, can you lose your salvation? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Here's what I say. If God is moving on your heart right now in this moment, you just respond. Just, just respond. If God's saying, this is you, don't be like, well, I was baptized when I was five years old, so I don't know. All right. Like, just respond to Jesus. That's what this is all about. Always. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. I want to give you a chance to respond. Listen, the Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. What that means is that every single one of us, we need a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. You cannot save yourself by your good works. You cannot save yourself by your actions. What saves you is when you, commit, when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for you. He reconciled you to God and he saved you from hell. And if you're in this place this morning and you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and that's it. If you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and that's it. One, two, three. Raise them. You raise them high. There's a lot of hands. Amen, 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 amen. Come on, Queen City, we can clap. Amen, amen, amen. Come on. Here's what I want to do. Just stay with me. I, mean, I, I want to lead us in a prayer. And I want everybody to repeat this after me, everybody in the room. And let's say it like we mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Right now, I just confess with my mouth. And I believe in my heart that you are the Son of God, that you were crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for me. Save me, Jesus. I pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at queencitypeople. 